Chapter Eighteen. Chore in the mountain, and not through the main gate. There was only one other way in, and that was by the floodgate down in the roots of the mountain, that had not been opened in an age. How? And why? Wickham saw, and groaned aloud. Bomac and Arkwood must have wrenched those rusty bolts aside. They'd been just about to take Ethac down to see the unlocked door, claiming that he'd done it, when the alarm sounded. The fools had not counted on chalk testing their handiwork. Bomac and Arkwood must have wrenched those rusty bolts aside. They'd been just about to take Ethac down to see the unlocked door, claiming that he'd done it when the alarm had sounded. The fools had not counted on Chaw testing their handiwork. Soldiers thundered past, boots crunching, pikes clanking, flowing down the stairs like a river. Wigan pictured them splitting off, racing across the levels to man the many local flights of stairs. Chaw, spreading through the mountain, would find these other stairs, climbing the levels everywhere until they reached the living quarters. He squeezed his head between his fists. They eat their prey alive. Ethac said they could not endure the cold. But could anyone be sure after all this time? Even now the chawl would be swarming through the mining tunnels, the maintenance and mason shops, the caves of the carpenters and torch tenders, and he would take the blame. He must get out, leave the mountain, now. What of the cure? Four guards could not withstand a crawling tide. Wickham started up the stairs, then paused. He who had lived his life inside the mountain felt the cold even in the ice galleries. While Chawl might reach a greater height in the relative warmth of the mountain's interior than they would outside, surely they'd never make it to that icy height. So the Kia should be safe. And if folk took refuge in the ice galleries, they would be safe too. Had they started to move? He thought of his hicksad, raced upstairs to check. As he reached the dormitory, the boys were filing out, tanning at the tail. But we can, that one wailed. A guard prodded him on. Go, we'll find him, don't you worry. Wigan bit his lip. He didn't like the sound of that. At some stage there was bound to be an all-out search for him. Time to go. Not by those stairs, for they were too crowded. 
though it would take longer, he'd be wiser to go by lesser-travelled flights. He slipped across the deserted cabin and, kneeling beside his bed, pulled out his storage locker. He took out his satchel comeback pack and, stuffed in a spare set of clothes, his mementos of his outing with Ethac and his pipe. Strapping on his knife, he shouldered his pack and headed for the main gate. The barracks were almost empty, all able-bodied soldiers fully occupied. The gate area was deserted, save for grim-faced sentries and the lookout in his high perch. Wiccan weighed his prospects. Sometime soon, that gate would open to admit foraging crews coming off shift. If he geared up and waited, maybe he could just slip through. With fumbling fingers, Wiccan found a suit and put it on, botching the laces. Shrugging on his backpack, he ducked into each small storage cave in turn, picking out a helmet and visor, leaving the boots until last. It took the longest time then to edge up to the gate, so noisy those spikes were, and he as clumsy as before. But with a pole in each hand, get there he did, and lucky he was that the place was so deserted. In the silence, Wiccan gazed about the murky space. Blackened by the smoke of countless slains, the rough stone walls looked dismal and forbidding. He thought of the Hicksad huddled with frozen breath in the glassy ice galleries. At least they were safe. He thought of his beloved knife strapped around his middle. Igma, champion. Proud he'd been that Ethac had carved the sign upon its hilt. What was his mentor thinking now? Did he believe Bonac and Janet? Possibly. After all, on the picnic, he'd told Wiccan about the floodgate. The man might well believe Wiccan had gone to satisfy his curiosity. Hadn't he spent a whole week in the brig for going out of bounds? Likely the captain would blame himself for talking of the past. Talk frowned on by those who made the rules. No matter that it was a lie, that he hadn't been down there, not that night at any rate, and he had never even touched that door. Never had Wiccan felt so wretched, not even when he'd been locked in the barracks cell. What, he thought, tormenting himself further, what would Tanit think? 
when word spread that Wiccan had been the one to let in Chor. And Ismara and Istrid. Everyone would hate him and despise him. Everyone would seek to bring him down. He couldn't prove he wasn't down on the mining level. And probably Janik or Grisley could swear they'd seen Wiccan's empty cot. With no one to defend him, Bernack's story would prevail, and they might never learn the truth. Sad, he thought, to leave behind a ruined name. Minutes passed. As Wiccan waited, it came to him that he'd have to return to the creek, and soon. The moment he got down from the mountains, if he got down, he had to find the Kier's kin and guide them to the gate to fetch her out. But how? How would those kinsfolk get the Kier from there? The Quidmoran would never let strangers in, and never let them go alive. Wickham gritted his teeth. Too soon to worry over that. We haven't gotten out yet. Minutes passed. Suddenly, from way below, came a loud boom that shook the floor beneath him and sent him teetering against the cavern wall. Men shouted. Men came running with the news. Someone had taken a lighted torch after Chor into a mining tunnel. The tunnel had exploded in a mass of flying rock and flame. The fire was spreading. One part of the mines had collapsed, burying the crews on shift. The lookout shouted. A crew of foragers waited to come in. Spears at the ready. The sentries pulled aside the bars and heaved the great gate inward. As the last man squeezed inside, Wiccan slipped past and out. The gate ground shut and Wiccan was left in silence. He leaned shakily against the gate, scarcely aware of the torchlight streaming all around him, the darkness beyond. Way down, the mountain was afire. Pigmoran were fighting for their lives. How could he leave at such a time? How could he stay? When it was over, They'd be after his blood. By then, he must be miles away, off that mountain track at least. Wiccan pushed away all thought of what he'd left behind, and stepping from the gate, bent into the wind. A dozen steps, and night closed in around him. 
inching forward, feeling his way down step by step, Wiccan moved ever farther from the gate. A few minutes more, and the thought came. One misstep, and he would fall out into nothing. He tapped the ground blindly with his poles, testing each footing. Lucky he did, too, the number of times those spikes stabbed empty space. Down, down he went, stumbling, braced against the gusty wind. His head began to spin, his breath to labour. Even though he couldn't see, he could feel the height, the vastness all around him. Wiccan hunkered down and put his head between his knees. If he could just get lower, he tried to tell himself. The air was heavier. But then he remembered the pill Ethak had given him to help him breathe. Either way, he was caught. Well, if he didn't hurry up and get down some more, he thought, he'd likely black out and roll right off the mountain anyway. He straightened up and forced himself to carry on. After an age, the poles met empty air in front and to either side. He'd reached the first ledge, and without a rope. Wind puffed against Wiccan's chest, as if trying to push him back. He crouched, peering down into the dark. He couldn't see a thing, but he remembered that it was too far to jump. It was jump or nothing. He threw his poles down over the edge, heard the clatter of the roll. Lowering himself over the cliff, he hung on by his fingertips and let go. As Wiccan's feet hit the rocky ground below, he gave at the knee and rolled. There he lay, winded, taking stock. He'd banged his shoulder hard, otherwise he was fine, thanks to the heavy suit. He sat up and groped around for his poles. He found one, gave the second one up for lost. Actually, children, it had rolled off the track and fallen clean off the mountain, and lucky that Wiccan hadn't witnessed that. Struggling to his feet, Wiccan went on. He reached the second ledge, dropped from that. By now, Wiccan was feeling more confident, which was his undoing. Taking the third cliff faster than he should, he landed awkwardly and wrenched his ankle. 
got to his feet, tested it, grateful for the tight-laced boots, and limped along, down and down. The night air shifted, the mist broke, and Wickham stopped still, staring out. Before him, the track snaked down like a silver serpent, while overhead a huge silver disc hung round and full. It was the moon, of course, that same moon that you and I have gazed at many times. Wickham had learned of it, but the sight of it so took his breath away, he stood for precious minutes gazing up. Move, fool, move! Gathering his wits, he made to limp on, when a faint smudge below him caught his eye. That smudge, children, was a crew of gatherers with escort toiling up that silver track towards him. What to do? Get off the middle of the track, for one thing, Wickham told himself. He moved as close to the track edge as head and stomach could allow, and waited. Their murmuring grew louder as they neared. Three days before I go out again, I'm going to lie in bed and read. Laughter. I'll think of you tomorrow night. I'll be doing double duty then. Huh. After this watch, I'm on days. They were past, their voices fading into the wind. Wickham stared up after them, thinking of the shock that awaited them. He limped on, the going easier now he could see the track, until, after an hour or so, he began to tire. He needed to sit down just for a minute, his ankle pained him so, and his boot felt tight. He huddled on the stony ground, trying to make out the faint smudges below to either side of the jagged silver spine. His vision blurred, then sharpened. He blinked a few times, shook his head to clear it. He was feeling somewhat light-headed. Was it that he'd had no pill? Or that he'd held the shift so long? Perhaps he should give himself a rest from that, too, just briefly. Wickham shifted to visible. Just for a minute, mind, he told himself. He slumped forward, his eyes closing drowsily. A few blinks later, he sat right up again. What was he thinking of? He should be going for his life. He scrambled up and struggled on. During that short rest, 
his ankle had swelled more, and his boot hurt worse, and his head felt no clearer. Perhaps he should shift back to invisible. We can shift it, and stopped. Which way? Hadn't he already done that? He tried to think, but his head was so muddled he couldn't, for the life of him, decide now whether he was invisible or not. That being the case, he decided he'd best get off that track before any more crews came toiling up. Too late. As Wiccan gazed down along that crooked spine, he saw a knot of foragers heading up with four armed guards. Wiccan swallowed. What to do? Halfway between them and where he stood was the place where the spine split into two, the smaller one on his left dropping sharply into darkness. There's an old forest way below. Some have strayed down there and never returned. Could he make that smaller trail before they reached it? If he was invisible, he could wait there and get back onto the main track when they had passed. If he was visible, Wigan started for the junction. He'd simply have to run for it. He sped along for half a dozen paces, then quit, wincing in pain. No way he could reach that lesser trail in time. If they could see him, he'd have to bluff it out. As they neared, they slowed, falling silent. One of the escorts stepped forward, Pike raised in salute. Good evening. What gives? I'm sent to warn you. The Wiccan tried for gruff, came out hoarse. Jaw, overrun the mountain. On guard, he made to pass. The soldier moved aside and let him by, then called after him. Why just one of you? No one goes out alone at night. Every able-bodied soul is fighting chore. I am hurt, so I am a messenger, Wiccan answered. I go to warn the others. There came a hurried exchange. Then the god called out, We are the last of the night shift. Come back up with us. Wiccan eyed the knot of foragers and guards then glanced towards the fork in the track. Too far. He'd never reach it. He threw down his pole and ran. For a moment, crew and escort watched him. Then, hey, the soldier called and gave chase. Who oh, no time to think of ankle pain. Wiccan's long legs flew. At a cry from behind, Wiccan glanced back and saw the soldier trip and roll. After him, the man cried. The foragers dropped their bundles and, 
with the other guards, gave chase. Don't look back, Wiccan told himself, and kept going, eyes fixed on the track. Whatever happened, he mustn't stumble, but it was mainly hard to keep his footing on that steep, uneven slope. Nearer the fork came, and nearer. Behind him now, everyone was shouting, ordering him back. Unable to stop now, had he wanted to, so great was his momentum, he skittered the last few steps to that lesser trail. To Wiccan's dismay, as he started down it, so did his pursuers. Now he glanced back, saw the guard who had challenged him in the lead, and close enough to seize him. Stop! I command you! Wiccan put on pace. He slipped, staggered, lost his balance, and down he went. Suit and helmet bouncing and scraping over rock. Then, all at once, the rock was gone, and he was tumbling through space.